Good morning, folks. Welcome back to the UMass Basketball Show. Episode 19 here today, and it's a little bit of a somber one. Cam Seibert, Devin Dobick, and Joey Alberti. A few days removed from the shutdown at UMass. Everything on lockdown at this point. I haven't left my room in... Well, I, I, I was supposed to not have left my room in a couple weeks, I'll be honest. I have at times. Uh, you know, breaking the doing the cardinal sin, I guess, going out into the real world to get food or whatever I've been doing the past couple days. But how are you guys dealing with it? Uh, we'll get into, obviously, the, the impact it's having on everybody else and specifically the athletes, I think, the ones being hit hardest by this latest shutdown. But what's it like for you guys? Uh, I know you guys are not on campus, but how are you reacting to the news? It's just very, like, you know, it stinks because they've worked so hard, especially for us at wmua i know they were going to open the studio and i feel terrible for the upperclassmen like you and colin and other guys because you might not get those opportunities with all the dumb things that took place on campus so it's a bit discouraging for sure um but you know we got to make the most of it only way we can go is forward but it definitely stinks um hearts are heavy uh, especially with the fact that we might not get to call uh any games especially basketball which we've talked about for the past who knows how many months? Yeah, um, we might obviously, not get that opportunity, more than but, anything, you know, it is what I it feel is. Like you got to feel for the players, um, but definitely, the you know, for sucks. men's basketball, um, women's basketball, and men's hockey, especially just because it's in their season, just because they've done all the right things, and they're being so careful and making all these sacrifices to make sure that they can have a season, and then it kind of gets thrown out the window because someone decided to have a three hundred person frat party. So, I don't know. That that sucks. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm right there with you, Joe. I think that's the biggest thing to me is just how how awful this is for the athletes. Like you said, I mean, they've been tested, I, I think, close to four times a week. Uh, anytime there's been a trace back to someone who's been exposed to it. I know Ronnie DeGray recently was in that situation. He was forced into a quarantine for a few days and was tested leading up to the game, all the way up to a game-time decision where Coach McCall let him have the op- the decision whether he wanted to play or not. And obviously, Ronnie went out and played and all that. But it's just like you can't imagine that after all these guys have been through and these girls and, or I should say, women, they just get this stoppage because, like you said, Joey, some people wanted to throw a party or break the rules and it, it somehow falls back on all the people that were following the rules they still get the punishment too so it's just it's really unfortunate and i mean you can only hope that things will in the next couple of weeks start to look better and the cases will go back down again and that the athletic department can open back up because i mean the last time out and we're going to break it down obviously the game against rhode island umass goes out without their two best players potential two best players at least one of them and trey mitchell and have really one of the best performances that you can remember in at least the Coach McCall era, right? I mean, they win by 12 points, I think. And you, you just go up and down the, the stat sheet and everybody kind of stepped up in this game. I think Kyra McCrory was the real, uh, the highlighter of that of that uh, stat sheet. But I don't know. I think just to kind of to continue on, on this whole stoppage thing. So yeah, and I, I want to bring this up too. And Joey, maybe you can help me out. UMass has played... They have played 11 games, and I believe they have to play 13 total games to qualify to play in the Atlantic 10 tournament, and then it might be 14 games 
uh, to play in the, the big tournament, in the March Madness tournament. They have two more games on their schedule right now. The next four have been deemed canceled uh, because I think the date for this shutdown to be reevaluated or kind of end is on February 21st. So they have Dayton, VCU, St. Bonaventure, Duquesne. Those are all canceled. Uh, then after that, the 24th of February, they play St. Joseph's. Or they're supposed to. And then March 3rd, they have Richmond. So those two games could bring UMass up to 13, which I believe would qualify them for the A-10 tournament. And then you'd have to think you play at least one game in the A-10 tournament. And I mean, if you're a UMass fan, you're hopeful that they play more than one game in that tournament. They would be qualified again for the March Madness tournament. If yeah, they were, so I, I actually uh, able to receive back a spot. To, um, so is that my right with that, Joey or Devin? If you guys um, know, can you help me out? I just want to be sure that I'm not. Before nonsense. we started recording, and she said that to qualify for the NCAA tournament, you need 13 games, and you can go into the Atlantic 10 with 12, having one of the games in the Atlantic 10 tournament for UMass's um, situation count as a game towards that qualification for the NCAA tournament. So I don't know. I didn't find how many games it actually takes to require for the A-10 tournament. I'm not sure if it's like 11 or 12 or something, but I think 13 is the number for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and we've also heard heard a little bit that there might be some form of an algorithm or equation that gets thrown in place for some of these teams that have obviously missed a lot of games. UMass has not played nearly a full schedule, only 11 games at this point. And for reference, I mean, like our first basketball show, obviously this is episode 19. The first one was back in September. So it's it's been a while and this, this season really should be more completed than it is. So we'll have to just kind of wait and see how that all plays out and who knows how an equation or an algorithm would look to, to, to rank teams ahead of the tournament that haven't played full schedules. It's obviously a crazy year. I mean, this is unlike anything that anybody's ever experienced. And again, I think with the shutdown, you just have to feel for the athletes who really are the ones being penalized the most for this when they've been the ones keeping it away or, or being most uh, vigilant of COVID. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, and like, like Devin said too, I mean, they opened our new brand new radio station for three days. I still haven't, had a chance to walk in there so it's 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 hurting everybody but i can't imagine to be an athlete or especially umass basketball and we'll talk about it right their last game they traveled down to rhode island 8 p.m national tv game on espn2 you don't have trey mitchell and you don't have Noah fernandes you're coming off a win where the circumstances were the same against fordham um but this game against uri just is one of the best looks umass has had uh in a win they win at 75 to 63 and i think as well, it's one of the better coached games uh, by Coach McCall. Just everything was kind of up and down. Uh, the game plan was there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned Cairo McCrory. He plays 29 minutes, but so efficient. Five and nine shooting. Uh, he makes the one three-pointer he takes. Has 11 rebounds. Four of them on the offensive glass. 11 points. And then three steals and three emphatic blocks. I mean, moments where he's jumping up to meet Makai Mitchell at the rim, the biggest player for the for the Rams, and just pinning it on the backboard, taking it the other way, coast to coast, and finishing it off for an and one or a layup. Cairo was just the energy guy for UMass when they really needed it. They needed someone to step up and fill the roles of, of Trey and Noah, fill that scoring, fill that defense, really, and Cairo was doing it in every way. So I'll leave it open to you guys. I realize I, I just talked for a while there, but some, some initial takeaways from that game uh, and players that maybe stood out for you. Great team win. 
absolutely outstanding. This is what we've been preaching all year long. You know, you're down your two best guys, as you said, Cam, and you come out. Carl Pierre has his best game of the season with 19 points, 7 of 15 from the field, 5 assists, as well as 5 rebounds. You know, that's a great stat line for them. The captain, the leader, and, you know, he had big shoes to fill without those guys, and he stepped up and made it happen. Um, TJ Weeks wasn't his night, but, you know, he came off a game where he was the guy. So, you know, the team's starting to say, mm-hmm. as we talked, or as I asked Ronnie DeGray in the presser, is next man up mentality, mentality rather. Um, but, yeah, so they just absolutely are taking I that. I think the most, um, um, and, you know, the, the running most, by that The biggest positive, I should say, to take away from the game, and, at least from been my executing on that. standpoint, is the fact that UMass has tended to dwindle in the second half in terms of defense and allowing their opponents to score and they average like 10 more points per half in the second half in comparison to the first half and in this second half they kind of just um further went on their their lead and kind of extended it they they had a seven point um differential in the second half in comparison of five so they did actually better in the second half which is something we just really haven't seen that much and especially against a uri team i get that Fats Russell was limited, who's their best player, but still a very impressive win against a, a good team when you don't have your two best players, obviously. And then the second thing, I guess, that I would say is the fact that when Trey and Noah do come back, it's looking like a team that's going to have some actual depth now. What McCall, McCall was talking about that in the beginning of the season, saying like, oh, we're going to have so much depth, but we didn't really see it. We kind of saw like a six-man rotation, but if you get yeah. good minutes out of Cairo, um, Mark maybe coming in a little bit. Mark's been looking impressive with uh, with no Trey, so he's finally got his confidence. And then someone like Javon also coming off the bench when um, when Noah's back. That's a that's a solid eight man rotation, even with Debaji Walker kind of um, being out for the season with his with his wrist surgery. So and then you have Colton and DeAndre. I don't know. Um, I know I know they want Colton to play more as they should because he's he's pretty aggressive out there. He may not be the the best scorer, but he's he brings kind of that defensive presence and aggressive, you know, die for loose balls and type of uh type of energy. Same thing with DeAndre. Coach McCall always talks about his energy, but yeah, I think that they have like a legitimate eight ra- eight man rotation even without Debaji Walker for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think it's a great point that all these role players that we've been looking for to step up or, or, or produce a little more did that in this game. And now you have to think moving forward, they're going to be even more confident about their position on the team. And as like you mentioned, you'd have to hope that with a longer break, Trey Mitchell and Noah Fernandes could start to feel better. You mentioned it there, Debaji Walker announcing on his Instagram page that he's going to go ahead and undergo surgery on that shooting wrist, his left wrist. Uh, he was dealing with an injury that he was going to go ahead and play through. He's had that cast on it, but I think he, he mentioned in the post that this is an injury he's been dealing with for a long time, and pushing off surgery was just not the way to go. So definitely wish him the best uh, with that. And, I mean, Devin, you mentioned Carl Pierre, and 7 of 15, 5 of 10 from 3, had 19 points, team high uh, in the game, and was absolutely huge. And I saw a tweet that I think is a great point. It's like when Carl Pierre is shooting the three ball well, it completely changes the dynamic for UMass, right? In this game, you kind of saw it, how much, I guess, focus they had to put on Carl once he started to heat up, really stretches the floor for UMass. Uh, He also does a very good job getting to the rim in this game and scoring the basketball. UMass only took five free throw shots. 
Uh, so there wasn't much of a, a free throw disparity, but I just think Carl, for the first time in a little while, has had a really had a really big game. Felt his impact in the game, like he was the one of the major reason, reasons UMass was able to win this game. I'm sure it has to feel really good for him because, I mean, look, like Carl in his freshman and sophomore year was shooting the ball better than he has in the past two years, right? Like he's slumped a little bit, and there's really no hiding that. But it's not like he's slumped to the point where he's a detriment to the team. He's always going to be a valuable defender. Coach McCall realizes he can put his trust in Carl Pierre. He's a veteran. He's been there the whole time with Coach McCall. The loyalty that Coach McCall talks about and the trust he has in him, like those are the kind of players you're going to have on the court because you just know you don't have to worry about them on defense or even on offense making a silly mistake. Like Carl Pierre is going to be solid. But for him to actually start to score the ball better in this game, have 19 points. I think that's huge for UMass going forward, and you have to hope he can kind of maintain that level of play. Uh, but obviously, like you guys mentioned, it wasn't just him. It was it was everybody. Javon Garcia had a few big baskets, and then I think Kyra McCrory, again, was just huge with the energy. It was really a, an interesting game. Both teams were implementing press defenses. It was so fast-paced. Like, you're... You, you, as soon as one possession ends, the other one's already underway, like fast break back and forth, turnovers leading to points. And you mentioned Fats Russell. He didn't play his full load of minutes, only 27 minutes, but he had a few steals and forced the emphasis for URI. They were throwing alley-oops. Like it was high-octane basketball, almost NBA-style basketball where neither team was wasting any time putting up shots. Uh, I can't. What was it like watching it on, on, on the television set, if I could ask? It was, was it the same vibe? It was different for sure. Um, you know, I was I was having a great time. I didn't have a voice for the next couple of days. My parents actually asked if I had a cold or got COVID because I literally had no voice left after that game. Because you know they UMass came in ten point dogs without their two best guys, and you know they put up an unbelievable performance with that twelve point win. It was I had a great time watching. I don't know if it was necessarily different. Um, are more fast paced. There was definitely a lot of like turnovers, like back to back to back where at times it was fast paced. Um, but as far as like shooting and stuff, I mean, you know, 75, 63, not overwhelming scoring, but it was definitely an entertaining game to watch. I'll tell you that for sure. Mark Gasparini. <laughs> oh my gosh. With that huge bucket. I mean, I was having a great time watching him. Yeah, what's wrong with me? How have I not mentioned Uncle Mark yet? I mean, that is like a catastrophe in and of itself. About two minutes left in the game, UMass is up by about 10 points. Mark Gasparini ends up with the ball at the top of the key and without hesitation pulls up, rattles one home, keeps the wrist held in the air uh, like he's Steve Nash or something and everybody on the bench jumping up. You could see Trey Mitchell was doing like the high step in uh, overly excited move and it was just an awesome moment. You could tell that everybody on the bench was really, really happy to see Mark hit that shot. And it was really the icing on the cake to get the win. I think Carl Pierre hit the three. That was probably a little bit more important. A, a few possessions before that, the real dagger, it felt like to put him up by eight or so with two minutes left. But Marks was the real icing on the cake. That was when you <laughs> All knew I could do was UMass stole one I on the road. Like, and I've been a little know, more Joey, negative. How, how were you feeling when you saw Mark? Or what was your reaction when you saw Mark knock down that three? Some some knee stuff. So it was, it was very, you know, it was very <laughs> amusing to see him uh, hit that three. And I was, I was happy that, you know, he was able to have success because, you know, I feel like he's been through a lot um, off the court. So having success on the court without Trey Mitchell, kind of obviously not filling the shoes, but doing well was, was a cool sight to see. Um, I kind of, I want to raise a question to you guys though. So Dabaji's done for the year, right? 
And you'd think that Javon would just move into the starting lineup, or maybe TJ. I guess TJ would make more sense. But um, McCall's also talked about Javon coming off the bench just because of foul trouble. And then you could also just make the argument that TJ is that kind of off the bench scoring when um you know when your starting guys need a little rest and then you bring mm-hmm. him in or whatever the case may be. Is there a case for Cairo McCrory, Cairo McCrory to be a starter at any point this year just because of the energy he brings? Because I guess Debaji was there for his defense and his energy, and then you bring in someone like Cairo to fill in his shoes for the rest of the season, and he just kind of has that defensive presence. He always is going for those offensive rebounds, and he just he brings that energy somewhat similar to what Debaji brought. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, how about this? I'm going to tease the folks listening at home are already a, a solid way into the show. So we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to leave you on that cliffhanger that Joey just asked with Debaji Walker undergoing surgery that leaves a spot in the starting lineup as of late. So when we get back, we'll discuss that. Is Kyra McCrory the next guy up? Is Javon Garcia maybe going to fill that role? We'll give you our takes when we return. For more than 25 years, residents in the five college area have been getting food brought to their door by Delivery Express. Customers can order from over 85 Pioneer Valley restaurant locations. Almost every local spot in downtown Amherst is available to eat without having to leave your own home using Delivery Express. Online orders can be placed at DeliveryExpress.com. Phone orders are available through their iOS app or by calling 413-549-0077. Hot Table Panini, located on Route 9 in Hadley, is just a few miles away from the UMass campus. Hot Table specializes in a variety of grilled panini sandwiches and also offers a selection of soups and salads. For over a decade, Hot Table has been serving paninis for customers all across the Pioneer Valley. Customers can order in-store or by using the Hot Table app to order for delivery. Their menu, store locations, and phone number can be found at hottable.com. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the UMass Basketball Show, episode 19. And it's uh, it's been a journey, fellas. Uh, I appreciate all the dedication you guys have showed towards the show. I feel like we put together a pretty good product, right? I mean, where else can you go for your UMass Sports Talk? You can get the Curry Hicks Sage podcast. I'm sure that's uh, one of most people's top of the list place to go. But I, I appreciate anybody that's willing to tune in here and hear our takes as we follow along with the team. And the unfortunate news as of late, of course, that there's a third shutdown underway this one not by any means at fault of the team it comes as news from the entire university at umass has been closed for the coming weeks because of an outbreak of covid cases which really is quite alarming i think we're up over 500 active cases or something like that in the community which is never uh fun to hear so we're hopeful that things can start to get back to normal or at least in this shutdown that people do kind of take it easy and stay home and we can see the cases start to go back down again so that, of course, UMass athletics and UMass basketball can get back underway. But if you remember before the break, 
Joey Alberti left us with a gracious question that I'm sure has you on the edge of your seat waiting for an answer. We're talking about how Debaji Walker is undergoing surgery on his left wrist. He will probably be done for the rest of the year. And he has been getting the start as of late. Uh, a lot of that has had to do with his defensive effort. He's been guarding uh, typically one of the better players on the opposing team. He's been matched up with that uh, assignment. And he's done a really good job with it, right? I mean, he has got the motor. He's 6'9". He's got lateral quickness. Debaji really can be a great defender at any time. Uh, but with him out, it leaves a spot on the starting lineup. And we've seen a lot of different philosophies there from Coach McCall, Javon Garcia, has been the first guy up off the bench. TJ Weeks, even last year and this year, has been that sixth man. We talked about how Mark Gasparini has started to show his value as a, as a center coming in for Trey Mitchell. What do you guys kind of think about how the lineup looks now with Debaji going out? And I mean, something else to mention too is just like, although maybe Trey and Noah have been the only players out, actually out of the game with injuries, everybody is dealing with some form of of banger bruise. Mark Gasparini, we mentioned with the knee troubles. TJ had an ankle issue earlier in the year. Uh, Trey and Noah have obviously the injuries. Like it's up and down the roster that everybody's dealing with something. Javon just got his eye like scratched out in the last game. He had a bandage on after he came back from the locker room. I don't exactly know what that injury is, but it didn't seem like it was anything good. Uh, so what what are you guys kind of thinking about how the lineup looks now that, that a couple of these guys have injuries and now that Debaji's out of the mix? It's different to say the least, but I really, excuse me, I really like what I saw from Kyle McCrory last game. He seemed to come out of his shell. I mean, the one sequence I'm remembering in a, you know, I may forget the order of this, but he made like a block, then came down, hit a reverse layup, and then like hit like a three, like a possession or two later. And it was just, you know, that, that's what we need um, in the next man up. Uh, ways because especially with the loss of one of your best defenders you're gonna have to find a way to have defense and solid defense and turn it into offense and I think that's what we saw right there from Kyro McCrory and if he's able to just stick with that game plan and execute as well as he did I think that he could be a great fit to fill those shoes yeah and the thing I just kind of thought of this Right now, uh, with Cairo, he's he gives me um, Jordan Goodwin vibes for you A10 fans out there. Um, Jordan Goodwin's on St. Louis, and he's just kind of a walking double double as a guard. And then I don't obviously I don't think Cairo's going to be averaging like 11 and 11 nightly, but I I think he could get close. Like I could see a an eight and seven type of deal going on, or like even a se- I don't know. I think he would be, or he's either a really good addition to the starting lineup in terms of just having a guy that doesn't really need the ball that much um, and just really gets gets the dirty work done. I think McCall would love to have a guy like that in the starting lineup. But uh, in terms of rotation as a whole, like I was saying before, even with the departure of Debaji Walker, it's looking like it's on the up and up. Um, something I'm intrigued about, though, is they've they looked really good, like we've we've been saying. They had arguably their best game of the season, probably their best game of the season, definitely their best game of the season, without Trey <laughs> Mitchell and Noah Fernandes. And everyone was kind of getting touches. Obviously, Javon wasn't really doing well with his touches, but he's um I think he's reliable enough where um, you know, he's he can get touches. But I'm just saying in general, when Trey and Noah are back there, they take a lot of touches, especially Trey. And Trey's getting more shots than anyone. Um, so I'm intrigued to see if they try to spread it around more when they come back because it seemed like that really worked well. And if they could just kind of implement 
Trey and Noah into their that current situation that just allowed them to beat Rhode Island by twelve, I think they would just they could just take off into a, a different level and without just having to rely strictly on Trey and then have Noah as the playmaker. Also, an underrated stat, I just want to add this really quick. An underrated stat from um Saturday night's game against Rhode Island is the fact that Carl Pierre had five assists and zero turnovers. He kind of took over as that um that main facilitator and he he did really well in the absence of Noah. Really just a trustworthy guy, right, as your captain and I mean, to go back on what you were mentioning with Javon, I, the question I asked coach after the game was like, what was kind of some of the conversations with the referees that I was seeing him have? And he said he met up with his good friend, Leslie. I don't know the last name of the referee, but he said he, said he was just having a conversation about Javon and why he's not getting a lot of foul calls and was told that it just has to deal with Javon kind of leading with the body and almost trying to force the contact on his defender and how that's not necessarily maybe the right way to get calls. So... I think with Javon too, like it's just it's still a learning curve. Obviously, transferring into to the NCAA, and he had a great start in his first game, goes for twenty plus points, and it's kind of slowed down ever since then. It's just a matter of kind of needs to establish himself a little more to get those calls. I think a lot of the situations in that game against URI where he, maybe he wasn't getting calls, you look across the the floor to the other bench, and Fats Russell on URI might be getting some of those calls, right? Because he's the senior, he's more established, and mm-hmm. the referees might pay more attention to it. So I think with Javon, it's just a, it's still, we still need time to see him kind of evolve a little bit. And then what you guys are talking about with Cairo being mixed into the, to the starting lineup, I think to me that's got to be a no-brainer, right? If you compare him to Debaji, he's probably the closest player on the team to a Debaji Walker, a really lengthy player who can still have a lot of lateral quickness, be a good defender. And then I liked what you guys said as well, like Cairo can create his own shot or he doesn't need the ball in his hands to score, right? He pulls down four offensive rebounds, uh, seven defensive rebounds. He was running the break, blocks, steals. Like he can create his own offense off of a turnover or off of a rebound or cut. He can jump out of the gym. I think those those three blocks, like all three of them were potential sports sports center top 10 plays. One, he pinned on the backboard. The other, he like met Makai Mitchell off a two-handed dunk in the air pulled it straight down and then ran the court. And I think you mentioned it, Devin, a reverse layup and had an and one throughout the game. Like Cairo was just all over the place in that game on Saturday and was just a, a real crucial reason that UMass got the win. I think it has to be really great to see when a player, like you said, Devin, comes out of the shell and has a game like that. So for UMass, you got to hope it can continue, but we'll see what happens with the lineup and who, who gets the start in the next one. It's not going to be anytime soon, unfortunately. The next one on the schedule, St. Joseph's, like I said, on the 24th. And that's kind of the conversation I wanted to segue into next. It's a difficult one to have because obviously it's a lot of uh, seeing into the future. But in terms of looking at the season, I think we were trying to find in, in an earlier episode what exactly we made as predictions to where UMass would land. And we we're pretty sure, and I think we're right, that almost all of us had UMass in the top four of the A-10 at the finish of at the conclusion of this year. And right now, they are in that top four. I, I know the preseason poll, at least, didn't have them there. It had them at eight or nine. Uh, so a lot of people are expecting them to be kind of a middle-of-the-pack team. But whether it be our biases or not, I mean, you know where we are enrolled at school. Uh, <laughs> we, we had UMass in the top four. And right now, that's where they, that's where they land. St. Bonaventure at the top, eight and two. VCU, seven and two in second. Davidson, six and two in third. UMass right behind him obviously lost that game to Davidson when they played, but also six and two in fourth place. One of the best starts for UMass, I believe, in the past at least 
was it 2006 and seven, I think. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think? And then the question I'm sorry that I'm trying to pose is what in your minds is a success at the end of this year? Like, what does it take for UMass to look at the end of this season and say, okay, that was a successful year uh, in moving the needle, I guess, or starting to, to continue to lay the groundwork for this culture that coaches always talk about. Development as a team would, would be it for me because, you know, you're going to have the same group, assuming Trey comes back next year. Um, that's a whole nother topic of discussion because of how much success he's had this year and being in the Carl Malone award voting, you know, a lot of teams are going to be like, Whoa, who's this guy, you know? And, you know, hopefully Trey stays, but you know, definitely a conversation to be had um, when you're a player that talented. Um, but development as a team, because you know, all these guys, you're going to lose Carl and Mark, but for the most part, you're going to get to keep most of these guys for a few more years. So, you know, they're in fourth in the A-10 right now, and they've lost a few games, like the Bryant game and the Mason game. That really shouldn't have happened. That really they should not have lost. Um, so, you know, if they can just take this year and run with it next year, pick right up where they left off with the same guys, they're they're going to get better, and everybody else is probably going to get a bit worse. So that's, I definitely think, a um, bright spot for UMass is the fact that they're going to be improving when other teams are going to be losing key players, especially in the A-10. Yeah, and the thing that's interesting, you said that Carl Pierre is going to leave. That's def- that's not confirmed at all just because they're all going to have that extra oh, year of eligibility. Oh, um, so Gasparini's gone. I think he's a definite gone. But Carl Pierre could definitely stay, and then that'll kind of determine whether or not UMass needs to find another guy to recruit. Um or whatever in terms of that. But in terms of A-10 standings, UMass has been very impressive this year, obviously, at 6-2. and two, uh, Much more impressive than any other year with McCall. Um, but I'm also really intrigued to see them play teams such as Richmond, Dayton, VCU, St. Bonnie's, and St. Louis. Because you could argue those five teams are the best five teams outside of Davidson. And, we, and UMass lost to Davidson. And, we you know, UMass hasn't faced a single one of them. So... I, I want to see how they match up with the the top tier of the A10 before I don't know I like I get that we're we're right right now but there is that uh that week bubble I think it's from March 5th to March 12th or something around there where they're gonna reschedule games um, the A10 purposely did that in case you know games got postponed like they have for the Minutemen the Minutemen have played the least amount of games of anyone in the Atlantic 10 so far. Even St. Louis, who is on break for a month, has had played more games than UMass up to this point. Um, so I I hope that for UMass's sake, to kind of give them a little more credibility at the top of the Atlantic 10, they can face those teams and potentially win some of them. Because I don't expect them to beat every single team. Uh, I wouldn't expect them to beat Richmond. Dayton, I, I would say, is up in the air. St. Louis, I, I would not expect. And then... I don't VCU and St. Bonaventure are up in the air as well, but I don't know. I guess out of anyone in the A10, Richmond and St. Louis scare me the most. Right. And I think that's a great point, Joe. You look at UMass being six and two, it's impressive, but you're right. They haven't necessarily had to go up against any top tier opponents in conference. The biggest, I think, achievement so far this year has just been the series or the season sweep of the Rams. You get the first win in overtime and then you win pretty handily on the road without your two best players. It's pretty impressive stuff. And I don't know, all of a sudden this show has gone by pretty quickly. We are nearing the end and I think we actually are going to get ready and close things out. But 
want to thank you guys as well for always coming on the show. 19 episodes in, it's been a good run so far, and we'll try to do our best to keep it going. If you have any ideas maybe for things we could talk about, feel free to tweet at us. Uh, it might turn into some NBA talk in the coming weeks with the break, but I mean, fingers crossed UMass can get back to action, right? You have to feel for the squad after a huge win on Saturday to turn around the next morning, wake up to news that your season's put on hold for a third time. This time has nothing to do with you, just the 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 boys, the frat boys on your campus wanted to throw a party and not follow the rules. So it's it's unfortunate stuff, but we're, we're pulling for the team and we're, we're thinking of them. If anybody, any of the players or the coaches are listening now, we're hopeful that you guys can get back in action sooner than later. Um, but that's pretty much going to do it for this episode. And as always, really quickly, want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Delivery Express and Hot Table Panini. Check out DeliveryExpress.com, food ordering service all throughout the Pioneer Valley, more than 85 restaurant locations. And your all your favorites in downtown Amherst can be delivered right to your door using Delivery Express, like I say, DeliveryExpress.com or 413-549-0077. And the same thing goes for Hot Table Panini, really great place to grab some food. We actually have an employee in our presence right now. Hot Table has a ton of locations. Uh, some in Hadley, there's one obviously in Amherst, and there's a few even in Connecticut, so be sure to check them out, hottable.com. They're open Monday through Saturday, 11 to 8. Um, but other than that, I think that's going to do it for episode 19 of the UMass Basketball Show. want to thank all our loyal listeners for tuning in yet again. And until next time, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, wear a mask, uh, and we'll see you on episode 20. Take it easy, everybody. Goodbye.